I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, so recently I've been talking all about Innistrad and going through cards from Innistrad. Well, I got up to K last time, so I'm up to L actually this time. Uh, so we're going to continue on. And we're going to start today with Laboratory Maniac. Okay, so Laboratory Maniac costs two and a blue, three mana for a 2-2 two -two human wizard. If you draw no cards, if, you're, if you draw from your library and there's no card to draw, you win the game. So normally, so when Richard Garfield first made Magic, he realized that what happens if nobody can do damage to the other player? So, you know, you have to have some sort of backup. What if no one's able to defeat the other player? And Richard's backup was, well, okay, someone's going to run out of cards in the library. When that happens, they'll lose the game. So there's a rule in Magic which says if you cannot draw the last card, you know, if you go to draw a card and are unable to draw a card, you lose the game. Well, Magic's all about twisting its own rules. Laboratory Maniac says, well, what if that wasn't so? What if instead of losing the game, you won the game? So this is an all-to-win all card, and a kind of fun one. Um, we actually don't do that many all-win creatures. Um, there's a few, but not a lot. So this was kind of a, a, a rarity. Um, this card was definitely beloved by the people... Um, it's not for everybody, and not exactly the kind of card you draft all that often, but it's a fun deck to build around, and a lot of people who, who built fun Laboratory Maniac decks. Okay, next, Liliana of the Veil. One black black. Um, she has a loyalty of three. Planeswalker, Liliana. Um, for plus one, each player discards a card. For minus two, each player sacrifices a creature. And for minus six, you, uh, target player divides all their permanents into two piles, and then that player sacks one of them. You have to say, you divide all the things into two piles, and then that player sacks one of them. Um, so anyway, this definitely is Liliana being extra cruel. She has the chain veil here, and so um, she's, she, uh, this is a very powerful card. We almost reprinted this card and then decided it was a little too strong for standard. At least it was too strong for the current standard. Maybe in the future sometime it won't be. Um, so this shows up Liliana and... Um, was the, uh, what we call the face of Innistrad. She was on the poster, on the box. Um, she, there's a great picture of her sitting in the throne holding a skull or something. I forget what it is. But clearly somebody, uh, and there's like a dead person behind her. Or not, not a skull. She's holding the chain veil, maybe? Anyway, it's a very uh, cool-looking Liliana pose. Um, anyway, Liliana was one of the Planeswalkers in the set, and so she got a, a very good card, which ended up being quite powerful. Next. Ludovic's Test Subject, one in a blue, so two mana, for a 0-3 Lizard. It has Defender, and for one U, um, you can put a Hatchling Counter on it. And when there's five or more Hatchling Counters, it transforms into Ludovic's Abomination. 13-13 Lizard Whore with Trample. So the idea is, it's a little egg, and he's doing experiments, and eventually the egg hatches, and oh, some crazy thing. So the card in design, by the way was called Mutant Octopus. Um, it was like Test Subject, and it turned into Mutant Octopus. Uh, I thought that was hilarious, because it had it had 13 tentacles. Crazy. But anyway, uh, the creative team shifted around a little bit. They, they, they kept the general flavor of it. The flavor was... Um, one of the things you see on the blue cards, the blue transform cards, is that blue uh, is kind of messing around in places it shouldn't be messing around. That's a theme of horror in blue, is... There's this whole theme about, uh, you know, humans messing around where they shouldn't be messing and then the repercussions of that. And that's very blue. Blue is, blue seeks information often at its own peril. Um, and so this was just playing into that trope. Next, Lumbernaut. 
Lumberknot 2 Green Green for a 1-1 Tree Folk. It is hexproof, and whenever a creature dies, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Um, so this ability first showed up actually in black in Arabian Nights, um, and it's something that we most often do in black. Um, green had a theme in this set about caring about the graveyard and having a, being very death-centered. Um, morbid was one of the colors that, that uh, green, you know, green was in Morbid. Mor- sorry, Morbid was in green. Um, so green had a, was very death-obsessed in this particular set. And it uh, both cared about things that died, and it cared about things that had died, meaning things in the graveyard. So, um, anyway, it seems like a good fit, and uh, it's a little sapling tree folk that gets gets uh, gets nutri- it gets the nutrients from the dead body. Is that the flavor? Um, okay, next, Manor Gargoyle. So Manor Gargoyle is a 5-mana 4-4 artifact creature. It's a gargoyle. Uh, it has Defender, and it's indestructible while it has Defender. And then for one mana, until end of turn, it loses Defender and gains Flying. So the flavor of this is pretty cool. We're just trying to make a top-down Gargoyle. Gargoyles made a lot of sense in a horror you know, world. And so the idea is, as long as it's a Gargoyle, well, you, you can't destroy it. It's pretty tough. But it can animate itself and fly, but when it does that, not quite so tough anymore, and you can destroy it. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool card. Mayor of Aberbrook's. Mayor of Aberbrook is one in a green for a 1-1 human advisor werewolf. Um, other humans get plus one, plus one. And then, when it transforms, because it's a werewolf, it becomes Halpack Alpha. It becomes a 3-3 werewolf. All other werewolves and wolves get plus one, plus one. So the idea is, on one side, it makes um, humans better, and the other side, it makes werewolves better. Luckily, because it's a werewolf, when your humans are humans, it helps them. When your werewolves are werewolves, it helps them. Um, it's also an interesting card in a green-white deck because it's a human helper, but every once in a while it turns into a werewolf, and then it's not as useful. Um, but I, I know a lot of people who ran it. So here's my favorite thing about the card, is the implication... Here's the story implication for me. So the Mayor of Averbrook is not a legendary creature. It's not like the Mayor of Averbrook. But what I like to believe is the people of Averbrook keep uh, getting into office people who are werewolves. And so the mayor of Averbrook always turns out to be a werewolf, you know. And, like, I'm sure someone runs on a campaign that says, vote for me, I'm not a werewolf. And they get elected, and, oh, werewolf again. So, and the people of Averbrook are like, come on, we got to stop electing werewolves. Now, some of them, I think, I think it's comforting. Maybe they like it, but, you know, they're just, it's just tradition, you know. But anyway, that's what I believe is all the mayors of Averbrook are just, they're all werewolves. That's just what they are. Um, and, in fact, you know, I, I just think there's a, there's a good story about the, the town of Averbrook. If I, if I had more time to write, maybe I'd write a short story for uh, Uncharted Realms about uh, the town of Averbrook and the many mayors. <laughs> okay, next. Mentor of the Meek. Two and a white for a 2-2 human soldier. Uh, creature, uh, whenever a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield, you may pay one, and if you do, draw a card. Okay, this gets brought up all the time when I talk about white being bad at card advantage. Because this seems not bad at card advantage. Uh, this is us pushing the boundaries a little bit. I'm not crazy positive about this card. Um, the one thing I do like is it is definitely one of the problems in general with the weenie strategy is that weenie strategy runs out of, of weenies. Um, and one of the things about white is the lack of card advantage the reason we make sure that white's not particularly good at card advantage is white is the color of answers. It's got answers to everything. And if it could too easily get all its answers, then it would be very hard to beat. 
But there's a different part of white that's less controlling, that's more about sort of a weenie rush. And we want weenie rushes to be able to sort of have some ability to not run out of steam. And so we keep trying to make cards that help the weenie rush strategy not run out of steam while not helping the controlling white deck get the cards it needs. And so that was what this card was trying to do. Um, The only problem is there's a lot of defensive small creatures, so you can make a defensive deck with small things and use them for the card advantage. So this card kind of drifted a little bit. It had good intentions. I know what it was trying to do. Um, But anyway, uh, that is Mentor of the Meek. Next, Micaeus Falunarch. So XW, so X and a white, uh, for a 0-0 creature, legendary creature, human cleric. When it enters the battlefield, you put X plus one plus one counters on it. You can tap to put a plus one plus one counter on Micaeus. Or you can tap and remove a plus one plus one counter. And when you do that, you put a plus one plus one counter on all your other creatures. So Micaeus Falunarch was the leader of the humans. And we thought that was very important because um, we wanted to show the person who, like, things are bad. And here's the guy who's, like, holding them together. Like, humans are at their, at their worst. Like, 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 things are bad, you know. And that, but luckily, there's one man who's there trying to hold them all together. And the reason that's so important is, in the next set, Dark Ascension, we needed to take the humans down a peg. We needed things to get even worse. So, you got to give them somebody to help them in the first set, so you could take them away in the second set. We'll, we'll get to Micaeus. We haven't seen the last of Micaeus. Uh, but uh, we, it was very important to sort of set up Micaeus as being the religious leader of the humans so that we could, uh, we could do something with them in uh, Dark Ascension, which we'll see. Next, Mere Mad Phantasm. Mere, that's hard to say. Mere Mad Phantasm. Uh, it's three blue blue, five mana for a five one spirit with flying. And it has a very quirky ability. So what it does is, you spend one and a blue, two mana. Uh, you then shuffle um, uh, Mere Mad Phantasm into your library. You then reveal cards in the top of the library until you reveal it. And then you put all cards revealed into the graveyard and Mirror Mad Phantasm back in play. So the idea is you can't kill Mirror Mad Phantasm, assuming you have two mana up. Um, but instead of it dying, it mills some amount of your library. Um, so this card was made by Richard Garfield. Richard Garfield was on the Industry Design team. And this was a kind of a cool card. It's, the idea was it is a Phantasm that trying to kill it drives you mad. Or, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, your opponent trying to kill it drives you mad. And so it's a dangerous creature because, well, what if it gets shuffled near the bottom? Now, obviously, if you have four of them in your deck, it lessens how many, you know, the more I have in my deck, the, the less down deep I have to go to find one. So the, the deck does want you to play four of them. Um, but anyway, it's sort of a fun card, and it definitely, uh, it, it creates a lot of suspension, a lot of um, suspense. I mean, your opponent does try to kill it because every time they kill it, they mill you for some amount. Um, and so anyway, it's, it, it's definitely a cool and interesting card. Moan of the Unhallowed. So Moan of the Unhallowed is a sorcery for two black-black, four mana. You put two, two, two black zombie creature tokens into play, and you flashback for five black-black. So originally, by the way, making zombie tokens and then flashing back was a big shtick in black. We did a vertical cycle, so there was a common and uncommon, a rare, and a mythic rare. The mythic rare being um, uh, Army of the Damned. Um, and what happened was the developers found there's just a little too much card advantage in black, and so they went from four down to two. And so um, there weren't, weren't quite as many. So the reason I liked it was I was trying to sort of get this overwhelming zombie horde, you know, overwhelms you sort of thing, and I, I just felt they did a good job of sort of 
um, making more, like, making the zombie per card ratio. It wasn't one zombie per card. It was multiple zombies per card that helped you sort of build a horde. Next, Moon Mist. Moon Mist is an instant for one and a green. You transform all humans, and then you fog everything but werewolves and wolves. So the idea is, this was meant to be, it's a fog variant, but it was meant to be a fog variant to help your werewolves. And the idea was, if I have a whole bunch of humans, instead of uh, skipping, you know, not playing anything, I can play this. This will transform them. Now notice it transform all humans. We talked about transforming all werewolves and decided that, you know, there are a lot of humans. In fact, a lot of the, the idea of the double-faced cards is we are trying to show off uh, dark transformation, and usually on the first side is the innocent. So often on the front side is humans. Not always, but often it's humans. So by transferring humans, you transform most of the things. Not everything, but most of the things. And then it has a little extra bonus for werewolves, which is, oh, it fogs everything but the werewolves, so your werewolves can, can do extra damage. So it's, it's really, really good. It, it also allows you, with your humans, to make humans a little bit scary for playing green, that if I have a bunch of human werewolves and I attack, my opponent knows that moon mist could happen. And if, if I attack with a whole bunch of humans and you block with everybody and then I moon mist, it is a slaughter. So uh, it's something, something to be afraid of. Next, Morkrut uh, Banshee. Three black black, five mana for a four four spirit. And then it is morbid. When it enters the battlefield, uh, if a creature has died this turn, target creature gets minus four, minus four. So the idea is this card gets, usually gets to kill something, but something has to have died first. Um, and so this is another card that really could make dying scary because the last thing you want is like you chump block something and then out of, out of nowhere it's like, ba-da, and it kills one of your creatures. Um, not a lot of Banshees. I was happy to see a Banshee. We, we try to definitely, um, we had focus on the major tribes, but we try to have, you know, uh, make sure the other monsters sort of had, could peek in a little bit so there's a chance of uh, get to see a Banshee. Okay, Mulch. Mulch is a sorcery for one in the green. You reveal the top four cards of your library. All lands go to your hand, and the rest goes to the graveyard. So green had this care about graveyard flavor. So we found a reprint that got cards into your graveyard. Um, and the neat thing about it is that this is a good example where um, in Magic, for example, I don't mean Magic the Gathering. I mean uh, in my youth, for those who don't know, I used to be a magician. I used to do kids' parties and stuff. And one of the tricks you learn when being a magician uh, is about misdirection is you want, make, you want to make people look not where... Whatever the shenanigans are, you don't, want them look, you don't want them looking where you're doing something that you're not wanting them to see. So a lot of magic is about misdirection. Uh, you could say that about magic, too. But anyway, um, <laughs> so one of the things about this card is this card does a very good job of misdirecting because the focus on the card, which is what the card was designed for in the first place, is, hey, it means to get land, and land is good, and green gets land, and so it becomes this very flavorful land card. But the real function of the card was getting things into your graveyard, at least in this environment. Now, not that the land didn't hurt, not that you didn't use it to get land, but it's funny that there are often times when you would mulch and you're like, no land, no land, no land, which is not what you did with previous mulches in other formats. So uh, I like the fact that it, it did something kind of cool, but the cool thing it did and the thing it worked with the environment was a little bit hidden. It didn't, it didn't seem like the purpose of the card, even though oftentimes it was. Next, Nevermore. One white, white for an enchantment. As it enters the battlefield, you name a card, and then named cards can't be cast. So you might recognize this card previously as Meddling Mage. So Meddling Mage was Chris Bakula's Invitational card. Um, so Chris, when he won, he won the Invitational in Kuala Lumpur. He made a card he called the Meddler. And the Meddler, I think you named a card 
and then you could sacrifice it to counter the card. So it's like I named something, and then if you ever played that, I could sacrifice a creature to counter that thing. Um, and he, he has a mono blue card. And then we went back to Chris and said, okay, two things. One, um, we want to make this a multicolored card, because it's a multicolored set, because it was in um, Invasion. And two, so suddenly mono blue became white blue. And two, why, why do you have to sacrifice a creature? Why can't you just name a spell? And you know what? They can't play that spell. Name a spell, can't be played. Um, and I remember getting Chris on the phone and walking Chris through, because Chris's original card was, I think the stats were the same, but it was a more expensive mono blue card, and we made it a cheaper um, multicolored card that you, that you didn't have to sacrifice. And so we, we made the card significantly better. I remember talking to Chris going, is that okay? And Chris going, that sounds awesome. We can, we can print that. You can print that. I think that was Chris's words. I gave him the card. He goes, you can print that? And I go, yeah. Um, the development says we can. Um, and Chris goes, okay, I'm, you know, I'm on board. And uh, Chris is definitely... One of the things that's very interesting is... Um, I've had interesting conversations with Chris about Meddling Mage. How... Uh, I think Chris has, Chris has told me that of all the things he ever won in Magic, it's a thing that, like, when the dust settles, when he looks back on, on his Magic career, that it's the thing that actually ended up meaning the most to him, you know, and that, um, I mean, money is nice, and money buys you things, and it's, it's fun to do, you know, it's fun to get prize in that, but that this was the one chance where he sort of became part of the game, that Magic's been a huge part of his life, it means a lot to him, and winning this prize meant that he was part of the game. That, you know, from the end of time, meddling mage will always be part of magic, you know, and that in some ways there's a little tiny bit of immortality in the cards, and Chris really enjoyed that. Anyway, Nevermore is just, we, we like the card, meddling mage is a good card, we like, um, it's funny by the way, whenever we take a card that people really love, and then we eventually make a new card out of it and, and do other mechanics, I always get people complaining, they're like, you made that first card less special. Like, I know when I did the changeling ability, they're like, but now Misform Ultimus isn't as special. And the thing I have to say is, Look, my job is to make lots and lots of cards. I do not have the luxury of going, here's a cool, awesome card. Let's never do that again. If, if I make a cool, awesome card and players love it, I'm going to do it again. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll wait a little bit of time. It might not happen right away. But if I'm capable of doing it again, if people love it and it's just fun, I will do it again. That is how it works. I find things people like and I do more of them. I do not go, ooh, it's special. Let's never do that again. So, and then it comes up time and time again. Like, we didn't do Can't Be Countered for a long time because, like, we didn't want to make um, uh, the card from Tempest. I'm blinking on my name. That's called Grease Weasel. I'm blinking on the name, uh, the actual name. Uh, but we didn't want to make that. All this time in history of, like, let's not make things less special. I'm like, no, let's make cool cards. Cool cards beats less special. Okay, next, Night Revelers. Night Revelers cost four and a red, so five mana for a 4-4 four, four vampire, and they have haste if the opponent controls any humans. Um, so one of the flavor, one of the things we liked a lot about getting vampires into red, because um, vampires are traditionally in black, was part of what we wanted is, if you're going to put them in red, let's give them a little more impulsive, a little more bloodthirsty, a little more reckless. You know, black vampires, uh, you know, you see like Count Dracula and a lot of the, you know, it can be very, I mean, they make a lot of sense in black. They're, they're parasitic. You know, they definitely, they feed off things. Um, vampires are very, very good black creatures. But if you can get to red, it's like, well we got to play up the impulsiveness of red. And so let's have a little, a little more impulsive vampires when we get to red. And so I love the idea that these vampires just want to feed. And, you know, like, like you know, and the idea is they see humans like, we're off. You know, they're, they're off. I'm going to go, we're going to go get those humans. And so the idea that you have haste if your opponent has humans, I thought was just flavorfully pretty cool. And it played pretty neat too. It definitely was sort of some vampire hosing human card, which was kind of cool. Okay, speaking of vampires, we've come to Olivia Voldaren. 
So uh, she is two black red for a three three legendary creature. She's a vampire. She's got flying. For one and a red, she can deal one damage to target creature. That creature becomes a vampire permanently, and you get to put a plus one plus one counter on Olivia. For three black black, she can gain control of target vampire for as long as she's in play. Okay, so this card started as Count Dracula. That was the name in playtest. And what we wanted was Lord of the Vampires. And so we're like, what does Lord of the Vampires do? And we're like, well, they turn things into vampires. They kill, they kill a lot of humans. They turn a lot of humans, or some humans, and they control the vampires. So we're like, okay, we wanted to have two abilities. We wanted a black ability and a red ability that somehow played into this. I'm like, well, okay, I love the idea that the, the vampire host feeds. And is there a way? Because when a vampire feeds, the idea is if they drink all your blood, you're dead. If they drink most of your blood, but not all your blood, they can turn you and make you become a vampire. So wouldn't it be cool if the Lord of the Vampires could turn people into vampires? That sounds pretty cool. So the idea is we gave it an ability. So we decided that we want to do is that it could damage creatures, but it could choose to either kill them or leave them alive. So it turned them into vampires. Um, and then the other ability was, okay, well, what if it can control vampires? Now, we went back and forth. Black could, could, could have drained things, and then red could have temporarily stolen them. But we liked the idea that the, va- the queen of the vampires, or lord of the vampires, would permanently steal them. And black does have stealing secondarily... Tertiary, tertiary, I guess it's tertiary. Black doesn't steal a lot. It steals a little bit. If, and we like the idea of red doing damage. So it's like, oh, well, you could choose. You know, she can kill things. Doing one art and ping things, she can kill things. But sometimes she doesn't want to kill them. So this card worked out really, really well. In fact, when we, we do a thing called the, uh, uh, a rare poll, which is inside R&D. Any person who works at Wizards who's interested and who has any investment in magic, we send out this thing. You rate what you think of all the cards. And it gives us a sense of how people you know, first impressions of the cards because we've been working on them so long it's, it's, we need fresh eyes to look at them um, and rare pulls are a very good sense of, of just what excites players and this card won the rare pull, people loved this card um, now the funny thing is uh, Godly and I had a big fight about this card because he, there's a bunch of things that go on here uh, there's some memory issues, it permanently turns into vampires and you steal things forever And he, he just felt like it was maybe a little he really argued that we should change it. I, I liked it a lot. And it won the rare poll. I'm like, I'm not changing it. It won the rare poll. I, I think it's a cool card. Uh, and it ended up being very, very popular. People, I know a lot of people use it as, as a commander. Um, and the creative team did something really neat, which I like a lot, is uh, we just gave him Dracula, like it's Lord of the Vampires. And they said, you know what's cool? Let's have a female Lord of the Vampires. And I'm like, oh, that is pretty cool. And so we got Olivia. And she, and she, she worked out great. She's one of those cards that like, um, all the pieces came together and just, bam, she was just really cool. Next, One-Eyed Scarecrow. So it's an artifact creature that costs three. It's a Scarecrow. Uh, it's got Defender, and then creatures with flying controlled by other players get minus one, minus zero. So um, one of the things I had originally planned to do was to make Scarecrows uh, a supported race, like uh, a tribal race in the set. Because I'm like, oh, well, what is scary? And like, oh, Scarecrows has a nice sort of, you know, horror vibe to them. Um, but what I found was once we, like, early on, it's like, oh, we're going to have vampires and werewolves and zombies and, oh, maybe we'll have some scarecrows. But once I started figuring out that there was a, the tribes matched to ally color pairs, I realized that there's this nice orderly thing we were doing where there was five supported tribes. And so I'm like, oh, trying to do a 6-1 kind of breaks the symmetry of everything. So we, we pulled back. And um, this was my favorite of the scarecrow cards we had made. Because, see, it scares crows, right? It scares flyers. The reason flyers have minus one is they're intimidated by the scarecrow. 
Um, so it's us sort of doing a scarecrow that was acting like a scarecrow, which I thought was pretty cute. Okay, Parallel Lives. Three green for an enchantment. And it says whenever you, you, play, you make tokens, however you make them, it just doubles your tokens. So what happened was I made a card in Invasion. Invasion? No, uh, Ravnica. Called um, Doubling Season. Uh, and I love doubling things. I'm a big fan of doubling things. I, if you go through magic and find cards that double things, I made a lot of them. Um, and so I just made a card. And, and the funny thing is, from time to time, one of the perks of being a designer is, sometimes, I mean, my job is to make cards for every player, and I do. But every once in a while, you just make a card for yourself. You're like, you know what? I love this card. And the idea is, look, there's other players like me. If I'm making cards that I would love, eh, other players will love it too. Um, now, you've got to be careful. You can't make every card for you. But every once in a while, hey, part of the, you know, it's good to be king. Every once in a while, when you're making a set, hey, you can make a card that you really care about and that you personally think was fun. And so doubling season was his personal say get. I mean, doubling season was like, I, this card sounds awesome to me. I would love this card. I, I don't know how many other people will love this card, but somebody will, and I love it. And you know what? I, I, I get to treat myself every once in a while. You know, one, one of the perks of making magic is I get to make some cards for me. And so this card was made for me. Made for me. The funny thing was, it turns out it was made for a lot of people. It became insanely popular. It was really, really, really popular. Like, it kind of blew me away. Because I really made it as this kind of... Uh, selfish is the wrong word. But I, I made it for me. I really made a card that I would love. And it touched my heart how many people loved Dublin Season. Um, in fact, it's, it's, it might be my favorite card I've ever made. I, I really love Dublin Season. But here's the problem. After Dublin Season, we eventually made Planeswalkers. And Dublin Season plus Planeswalkers is bonkers. Um, so I tried to bring back Dublin Season in um, Zendikar, because uh, it plays really nice as Zendikar. Zendikar is all sorts of tokens and counters. And, and anyway, I was told I couldn't do it. Uh, development took it out. It was in the design file. Development took it out. And they were said that Dublin Season and um, Planeswalkers just can't coexist, at least in standard. Um, so what happened was um, I realized that if I wanted to have effects like this in standard, I needed to sort of break it up. And so this is... Me doing, I mean, I, I don't even know if I made this card. Someone, someone else might have made this card, but the R&D has decided that we want to bring Dublin Season back, but in pieces, not all of Dublin Season. Um, so this card cares for tokens. That doesn't any interact with Planeswalker, or minimal interact with Planeswalker. Some Planeswalkers make tokens. But, um, so anyway, and this is just us, hey, have fun. You know, this is a, taking a piece of, of um, Dublin Season and bringing it back. Okay, next, Past in Flames. It's a sorcery for three and a red, four mana. Uh, Instant or sorcery um, in your grave um, uh, gains flashback. So, uh, oh, it turns an instant or sorcery in your grave um, to it gains flashback equal to its converted mana cost. I'm sorry, to its mana cost, um, and then you can flashback it for four R. So, red has this little theme it picked up in Odyssey, I think, where red can grant flashback to things in graveyards. Uh, we were just trying to give Red something to do in Odyssey. Flashback was a thing. I just, at the time, it was called Recoup, I think. Anyway, I put, it, I put this ability in Red just to give Red a little something to do in the graveyard. Uh, Red doesn't have a lot it can do in the graveyard. Uh, and so we did an Odyssey, and like, hey, Flashback was back. We're like, well, we did not Red an Odyssey. Why not continue it? So Red got it back, and we, um, as we did an Odyssey, Recoup had Flashback. So th- this was definitely us sort of... Uh, Doing a new version of Recoup. A little more expensive. I think Recoup is probably a little too cheap. Prey Upon. Sorcery for green. Um, 
target creature you control fights target creature you do not control. Um, so, um, one of the things that Innistrad did is Innistrad introduced fight! So, fight was um, something that we had bandied around of... We had creatures were like, you do damage to that creature and they do damage to you, and the flavor was pretty straightforward. Like, these two creatures are fighting. Um, and so, we finally said, you know what? If we just call it fight, it might actually make it easier to understand what's going on. Sometimes you can not only lose words, but actually increase... Um, increase helping your players understand something. And so fight was one of those things where we like, it's like, oh, well, you do damage, you know, this creature does damage to the other creature equal to its power, and that creature does damage to this creature equal to its power. And, and the players would go, like, what does it mean? And, and you, like, literally I would teach people, i go, well, they fight. And I'm like, why am I saying this in 20 words when I can say it in one word that would be clearer than the 20 words? And one of the things about adding vocabulary is, I'm all for adding vocabulary when the vocabulary plays upon something the audience already knows and makes it easier to learn. Um, and fight is definitely one of those things. Like, if I say two creatures fight, look, magic has a fighting mechanic. It understands how creatures have combat. So when I say they fight, and now, there's a couple rules about fight. There's a few abilities like first strike that don't actually play, which is, can be a little bit confusing. Um, but anyway, uh, prey upon was us... So one of the reasons, by the way, we created Fight was we had the following problem. Green is supposed to be bad at... Well, Green's issue was supposed to be that Green does not kill creatures except with creatures. Um, and so the way we used to deal with it is Green had Lure and Green had all these different things that it had the larger creatures and it's like, hey, you know, I'm so big you have to block me and, or I make you block me. And the problem was Green was having trouble dealing with creatures that weren't in combat. And there was Provoke and Lure and a few things that sort of forced them into combat. But if they had tap abilities, they could prevent even blocking. So um, we tried to come up with a mechanic that felt green, that allowed green to answer the problem of, because creatures are so much an important part of limited, how do I address when I have problems? I said, okay, how about something where you're using your creatures to defeat the other creature? Because the idea of green is, if you have no creatures in your deck, you should have a real hard time getting rid of creatures. Your answer to creatures is creatures. But fight was a nice way to make, you know, if they have a big creature, if your creature's not bigger than their creature, you can't deal with it. And so it really much played into green strength and green's flavor. And fight definitely shored up an area we were trying to shore up, but in a way that is green. And that's one of the things, a lot of times when people see a hole, because there's holes in colors, um, where there's functionally, it needs something, but the color is supposed to have an inherent weakness. And the idea is, how do you stay true to the weakness and true to the color but allow the color of access to things it might need. And Fight was a real good example of green having some answers to creatures, but in a way that was true to what green was. That green still has this vulnerability that if its creatures aren't as big as your creatures, you know, if, if, if a fight will not solve the time if the creature you need to kill is the biggest thing on the board. Okay. Um, so I'm almost to work here. So I'll do, I'll do one or two more. Rakish Air, two in a red. It's a 2-2 vampire. Whenever a vampire you control deals combat damage, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So this took the slip ability that we'd given to the vampires and just said, hey, all your vampires have this ability. The neat thing is, I believe it's stacked, so if your creature already did this, um, it's stacked so it would get two counters instead of one. Um, And so this really was one of the cards that said, hey, play a vampire deck. That we we definitely wanted cards. We put them at a little higher rarity. They were mostly at uncommon and up. There's a few at common, but... Uh, most of the cards like this were uncommon and up, where it says, hey, if you get me early in a draft, I will tell you one of the options you could do is you can now go graft a vampire deck. Uh, and we were trying to differentiate from Laura when we were kind of were on rails. Like, 
better pick a tribe and pick it early, and then that's what you're doing with that tribe. Where the idea was in in um, Innistrad draft, you could opt into drafting a tribal deck, but you weren't forced to draft a tribal deck. I mean, I guess if you opened up a really good tribal card, there's some pressure to go, ooh, do I want to do that? But um, it wasn't something that you always had to do. That Innistrad drafts, it was a component, but you weren't forced to do tribal drafting. It wasn't something you were required to do. Okay. Rally the Peasants. Two and a white, it's an instant. Creatures you control get plus two plus zero until end of turn. Uh, and then it flashback for two and a red. Um, so this is definitely, um, this is one of the crossover flashbacks where it, it's in one color and you flashback in a different color. Um, both white and red can pump the team. Uh, the white-red strategy here, you, and white-red usually is, is sort of a, a, a go-wide attack strategy. So this card definitely plays into that strategy. The thing of all the crossover flashback cards is they want you that if you're playing these two colors, that this ability really goes well with those two colors. Not only do you get to play it twice, but it fits in the style of the deck. And white-red really has this. So one of the tricky parts about making these cards were you wanted an ability that both the two colors could do because it had to be playable by the color and played into the theme of how those colors played in this environment. Um, and and Rally the Peasants is a really good example of, of how, how to do that. Okay, one last card, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. Reaper from the Abyss. Three black, black, black for a 6-6 six, six demon uh, with flying, and it had morbid, which is at the end of every turn, if a creature died this turn, you got to destroy a non-demon creature. Uh, a couple of neat things here. First off, uh, it does a very common 6-6-6 six, six, six joke we do on demons. Uh, three black, 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 is, it's, it costs six mana to cast, and it's a 6-6 six, six demon. So we often like doing 6-6-6, six, 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 uh, you know, sign of the devil and, and stuff. Um... Uh, also, uh, we did this, a trick that we started a while back where demons destroy non-demons. And so the idea is it can't destroy itself. Like, if you eventually get into trouble, like, I don't want to have this around anymore. Um, like, if you kill everything of your opponents, it'll start killing your stuff if there's nothing left to kill. Um, and so it definitely has a demon quality there. Usually your opponent has stuff, so you kill your opponent's stuff. So most of the time it's pretty good. The other thing this did that's different from most Morbid is most Morbid, when you, when, when you played it, when you cast it or entered the battlefield, meaning it happened once. This is a card that happened all the time. It, this is obviously a higher rarity card, but this happened every single turn, or could happen every single turn. So that was a little bit different from the other Morbid guys. Okay, I'm up through M. So I look at, my, I look at what I have left here, and uh, whew, I, got a, I got a bunch left to do. But anyway, I'm up to M. Uh, next, oh, no, 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 I'm up to R. I'm up to R. Hopefully, uh, we have one or two podcasts left, but I will, I will try to finish up the, the Innistrad. So, obviously, this is not the last Innistrad, but I have parked my car. So, we all know what that means. That means this is the end of my drive to work. So, instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.